You're listening to Buzzing with Miss B, the coaching podcast, where we believe that every teacher deserves a coach, and every coach does too. I'm Chrissy Beltran, an instructional coach, resource creator, and coffee enthusiast. And I'm your host. Stay tuned for practical tips and honest coaching talk that will help you coach with confidence. Hey, coach. Welcome to episode 67 of Buzzing with This Be the Coaching Podcast. I am Chrissy Beltran, your host, and I'm so excited that you're joining me today uh, for episode 67 because we're going to talk about something that you don't really find in a lot of coaching books, and that is what to do with your coaching office or classroom space. Uh, you're not going to find it in a lot of books because a lot of those books are about theory of coaching. And so you don't really find all the practical stuff that tells you, yeah, but what do I do? <laughs> I have this empty space and what, what needs to go in it? So we're going to talk about what you could do to get your classroom or your office space set up for this year. What are some spaces that you're going to want to include in that office space and why you're going to include them in the first place. And so I'm really excited to share this with you because I feel like whenever I first approached my first office space, I can remember sitting with my principal and I said, I don't know what to do with the walls. And she said, well, what would you do with your walls in your classroom? I said, well, I'd create like spaces and framed and kind of have it organized, but I wouldn't put up any content because to me, that's just wallpaper. So whenever I'd work with kids, we'd create anchor charts and student work. And that's what would go up in those spaces. I didn't do like pre-printed, you know, Carson DeLosa stuff because I just don't believe that that stuff has any impact on children and learning. And she said, well, why don't you do that? And I thought, oh yeah, that makes total sense. <laughs> but I couldn't think of that on my own. I was just completely stuck because I hadn't seen a coaching office space that really looked like the kind of coach that I wanted to be. I honestly don't know if I can think of having seen one at all. Our coach had a little space in the book room because they really just focused on literacy. They were literacy coaches primarily. And they had a little space, like a corner in the book room that they would put up data and stuff like that. And their office space was in that book room. So that wasn't really the same situation that I was walking into. I was really fortunate um, in that I had a whole classroom. Not all coaches have a classroom. Some coaches have a more of an office type environment. Some coaches have what is basically a closet? <laughs> it just depends on your school, what space is available, how many teachers you have, that kind of thing. Um, so if you are in a smaller space, as you listen to these things, I don't want you to feel bad. I don't want you to, you know, really wish that you had a bigger space, although I know that bigger spaces are sometimes easier to figure out than small ones. You have to be very clever to figure out your small space. But what I do want you to do is think about these different, these different parts of an office that could be really functional for instructional coaching, which ones really reflect the work that you do or that you want to do and how you can kind of make it happen in your limited space. Are there spaces that can do double duty? Are there spaces that can have maybe uh, that are like modular and you can kind of change them out as you need them. Sometimes all of the space that you need can be, all the tools that you need can be stuck in a little um, caddy and there's your space. And maybe that space is movable and you can take it with you on the road if you need to. So really think about how to utilize a space that you have and not so much how much space you wish you had, because there's no reason to do that to ourselves. We literally have no control over where they stick us usually. And so I just want you to think about what you've got and how to best use it. So we're going to talk a little bit about your instructional coaching room, what the point of it is, and what kinds of spaces you want to have within that room. 
the purpose of your instructional coaching room is going to be a little bit different depending on your exact job description. I'm realistic and I know every coaching job description looks wildly different. Some of them are going to have you working with students. Some of them will not. Some of them will have you in classrooms 90% of the time. Some of them you're cutting, you're splitting your time with intervention or PD or something along those lines. So it really depends on what your, your responsibilities will look like. So before you even get to figuring out your room, you're really going to want to figure out what do you do? What's your job? <laughs> what is your job going to look like this year? And what kinds of responsibilities will you have so that you can ensure that your spaces reflect your responsibilities? Just like in the classroom. If you know that you're going to be departmentalized and you're focusing on reading and writing, you're going to have spaces that reflect that in your classroom. You're going to have um, a, a wall for comprehension and a wall for decoding strategies. And you're going to have a place for vocabulary. You're going to have a place for the writing process. You're going to have all these spaces in your classroom. Just like this, we do the same thing when we're coaching. What kinds of work are we doing with teachers? Let's dedicate spaces to that. Um, one thing I will say, I did not have a data wall in my coaching classroom because we had that in a separate space where everyone had access to it all the time. So that was in a room that was um, our leadership meeting room. And we would meet there and review the data, but we also had meetings with teachers in there when we were reviewing grade level data. So that, that way the math and science coach could get in there, the interventionist, anybody who needed that information could have access to it. So it was not housed in my room. If you do not have a space for data elsewhere in your school, you may need to have that in your own classroom. But again, that can be as easy as pulling out a file folder for each teacher or a science fair board. It doesn't have to be a whole wall in your room if you do not have the space for that. So think about the kinds of roles and responsibilities and things you're going to need to accomplish with that room before we get started in actually planning out your spaces, okay? And if I were you, I'd recommend making a physical list and then turning that list into a map. Maps are great. They're not always perfect. They don't always work out 100% of the time because unless you're measuring, it's not always going to be perfect. But a map can help you think about flow and movement in your space, and it can help you think about how much space do you want to dedicate to a specific thing. So we're going to go ahead and get into eight different kinds of spaces you may want to have in your instructional coaching room or office, and then you can think about what they will look like for you. My number one space that I'm going to share first is your own workspace. This is the space that you will work in. So inside of the space, you might write out documentation from classroom visits or coaching cycles. You might work on preparing trainings and alignment documents. Um, this is the place where you're going to want to organize all of your office supplies for personal use, stuff that you are going to use to do any of the kinds of work that you have to do that doesn't take place in classrooms. In this space, you're going to want to include some kind of flat surface to work on which could be a desk or a guided reading table. I always had a guided reading table. I never had a desk. Um, as a teacher, I had a desk, but it was stuck in the corner and I just used it for storage. <laughs> I always sat at my guided reading table and I kept it pretty clear. As a coach, I did the same thing because I wanted teachers to be able to approach that table and to have it serve double duty for the eight space we'll talk about, which is a conversation space. I also kept, I kept all my personal office supplies, post-its, whiteout, highlighters, pens and pencils, all that stuff. And then I made sure there's an outlet for my laptop or my desktop nearby. You just need to be functional. Sometimes if you're moving into a new room, you have all these grand plans about how everything's going to work out. And then you realize that the only outlet that you can possibly reach with your laptop is across the room. So you have to stretch your <laughs> extension cord all the way across the room for your charger every time you want to charge up your laptop. That's not really realistic or, you know, there's no flow once you've got a, an extension cord stretched across your room. So make sure there's an outlet nearby and a printer in proximity is ideal if you have access to your own printer. 
And then I kept behind my table any documentation binders for the work that I was doing with teachers. And if you don't have a documentation binder, it's really easy to make one. Um, I actually have a resource on Teachers Pay Teachers that will help you do this called the Instructional Coaching Binder Mega Pack. And it helps you keep your stuff organized. Um, all of your coaching cycle materials can go in there, any visits or observations, all of that stuff. You can house it in one spot or in a couple of binders, depending on how you want to organize your materials. And there are also really pretty different binder covers in there. So you could check that out and, and uh, choose of, out of the 15 styles, you can choose the one that best reflects you in your coaching style. <laughs> so that's the instructional coaching binder mega pack on TBT. So you, I used to keep those documentation binders on a shelf behind my table because I wanted to make it clear that that was not public information. I didn't want that out where everybody could just browse through and see what work I was doing with Miss So-and-so. So that was kept behind my table. So it was kind of reflected a more secure space or a more personal private space. So that's my own private workspace. And I kept all of the materials that I needed to do the work that I had to do as a coach that did not involve me getting out into classrooms or working with any individual. Another space that I, I kept and I found really valuable, my second space I'm going to share with you, is a planning tool space. So again, this depends on the responsibilities that you have. As an instructional coach, I was responsible for facilitating planning PLCs every week with each grade level. Uh, actually, I met with half grade levels one week, the other half the next week, and we met for 90-minute blocks. Now, not every coach has to do that. Or some coaches pop into to PLCs that are for planning, or they're present, but they don't facilitate. I found, for me, if I had all the resources in one spot, if we had access to everything that we needed in one place, our planning went so much smoother because I was prepared. And if, you know, sometimes it just happens that teachers go, oh, shoot, I forgot this or, oh, nuts, I don't have this. I could just pull it right off the shelf. It was no big deal. So at the beginning of every planning PLC, I'd pull out a basket full of materials that were directly aligned to that grade level. And it was a copy of everything the teachers had that was grade level aligned. So I would borrow a textbook from our administrator. I would, you know, sign out for the textbook from each grade level. I would borrow, um, I would order an extra copy of any student workbooks that we had or any student resources like our student magazines so that I could see what texts were available to kids at that time um, that we could use for planning because I wanted to get down to specific planning, not just, oh, we're going to teach main idea. No, no, no. What are we using to teach main idea? What are some good teaching points that we have within this text? And then I'd also pull out uh, I had a binder with a copy of the state assessments for the last however many years <laughs> they were relevant and our previous data. I had in that binder, I also had um, standards for each grade level, questioning ideas for each standard, and then planning documents like district curriculum guides and things like that. So that went on my shelf. So for each grade level, there was a binder and there was a basket. And that was really helpful to me in order to plan thoroughly with teachers and be really prepared for those planning meetings. So we all were kind of talking about the same things, we all had access to the materials that we needed. Again, if you don't facilitate planning PLCs in that way, then it won't be necessary for you to have that space. So if you've got a smaller space, that might be one that you can take out. My third space is a teacher workspace. So obviously, this space was designed to give teachers room to work and communicate during PLC, right? That's the point, is that teachers who are planning together and working together can communicate and have space to share ideas um, and not feel cluttered or cramped. I wanted them to know that that space had been created with them in mind. So the tables were pretty large. They could fit about eight to 10 teachers. 
um, around each pair of tables because I pushed two really big tables together. And then on each table, I had a big basket with post-its, pens, highlighters, um, things like that. And then a hole punch, a stapler, and a tape dispenser were nearby so I could just set them out if they needed them. And that helped them just, you know, just kind of minimized the trouble of being prepared for those kinds of things because they had everything they needed and they didn't have to get up and go back to their classrooms to find it. And there was plenty of space for them to spread out their stuff. I don't know about you, but when I'm planning, my stuff is spread out. And whenever teachers were planning together, they were often spread out too. Sometimes a teacher would, would sit at the very end of the table just so they can spread out all of their belongings. And I get it because we like to pull from lots of sources and we should be doing that. So that was a really helpful um, uh, setup because I had space for everybody to be comfortable. We had reasonably comfortable chairs. I mean, they were padded, you know, you get what you get, but they were okay. And um, everybody in a grade level could fit and communicate. And we could also fit special education teachers or any support teachers who were going to be part of our, our planning as well. The fourth space that I recommend that you have, depending on your role as a coach, is teaching resources. So my focus was primarily reading and writing as well as social studies. So largely the resources that we used to plan were books, <laughs> right? Um, so I had two sections of books in my coaching space. And one of them was dedicated to models for writing. And I actually have a post about this, how I did this on my blog. Um, and you can get there from the show notes for this episode. So if you go to buzzingwithmissb.com slash episode 67, that's episode with a capital E and then the number six, seven, you can get to that link that will show you exactly how I set up these mentor text baskets for writing because I was a literacy coach. So if we were planning a unit on writing good beginnings, we could just grab that good beginnings basket and dig through it to find the models that we needed. That was really helpful. Later, I actually created a mentor text basket for each grade level. And you can also find that link in the show notes, episode 60. So that's buzzingwithmissb.com slash episode 60. You can check out the link for the mentor text baskets for each grade level because that was a really helpful tool for planning. And I made sure that I created a separate basket for myself for each grade level. So when they came for planning, we had the tools there and they didn't have to drag their basket all the way down the hallway. Um, the other section of books that I included were classroom sets or multiple copies of novels or picture books. So if we had a classroom set of, um, I'm trying to think of a, one of the texts that we, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, for example, or a classroom set of um, Charlotte's Web, then those would go in that section and teachers could check it out. And we also had multiple copies so teachers could check out small collections of books to use with a small group of students if they wanted to do that. And they were organized in baskets with a checkout binder. Um, and I had that on a table near the shelf so they could just sign out their own stuff. I, I didn't monitor that really. Um, they were adults. <laughs> Granted, do things walk away? Sure. Yeah, they totally do. Um, but I think it was useful because it wasn't a good use of my time to be monitoring who had what. And um, I would just check in every so often and see what needed to be returned by the end of the school year. So people would check multiple collections out. Now, this did not include our guided reading books because that was in a completely separate space because it was a really large guided reading library. So I didn't have that in my coaching classroom space because that would have been the entire room, really. Now, I want you to think about whenever you're giving PD, if you're going to give PD in your room, that may be another space that you need to plan. I also used to do a little bit of PD at the beginning of our PLCs 
maybe about 10 or 15 minutes because I didn't want to pull from that planning time, but I in that dialogue time, but I did want to make sure that we were building a common language and that teachers knew about the standards and we had time to do that work together. So I created sort of a direct instruction space towards the front of the room, wherever I designated the front was. And that was where I kept a, um, my projector and my Elmo, my little document camera. I actually kept a chart tablet there so we could build charts together if we needed to, if we were doing a sample lesson or I could create a sample of a chart. If teachers were like, well, how could this be structured? We could talk through it and build it together. Um, I kept my, um, magnet had a magnetic wall space. And so I could model lessons there. You know, I had a, a pull down screen for the, for the document camera. And I also had a chair up there because sometimes you just want to sit down. <laughs> you're a person, you're allowed to sit down sometimes. So keeping that direct instru instruction space was really helpful because it kept my classroom feeling like a classroom, just like the teacher's classrooms were. And it kept me kind of, uh, whenever I was providing direct instruction, I could model what a little lesson would look like, just like if I were in the classroom. And that was really helpful to teachers to envision sometimes. The sixth space, and I mentioned this one before, is wall space. And granted, you have wall space all over your, your, your space, right? Every, I mean, unless you have a lot of windows, you've got a lot of walls. Your classroom space with, that's on the wall is valuable, just like it was in your, your teacher classroom. So you can use it to post anchor charts that you make during workshops or to create sample charts that teachers might like to use in their upcoming instruction. Um, like if you have a new unit coming up, and or a new initiative, you can post these, these sample charts and that way you can refer to them during planning if they need some ideas. It's also a good place to keep your calendar. So I post a large monthly calendar in my room. I always had two months showing at a time because we plan ahead and we wanted to kind of know what was coming down the pike. And so we would mark school events, uh, district or campus assessment windows or any important dates like that to help us plan accordingly. So whenever we sat down to plan together, I could say, okay, this is what we've got coming up for your grade level. And I could color code all the dates on the calendar to make sure that we know what we're talking about. We kept our assessment calendar up there. And so we could, we could say, okay, let's take a look at our calendar and let's block off any days that are not going to be usable or let's block off our assessment days or early release days. Let's mark these things off so we know how much time we actually have to plan plan with. That was really helpful because it kept us realistic. Um, it took me a while to, to learn that. <laughs> but once I realized I needed to keep track of these dates because every teachers just were kind of swamped, it was a lot easier to have them in one place than to have every teacher shouting out, oh, this is what's coming up. This is what's coming up. No, I'll just keep track. of. I've got the calendar. I'll just pull it out. Why am I going to put us through this? The seventh space that you're going to want to have in your office space is professional development resources. And they could be professional development for you, or they could be resources that were for teachers. So I inherited years and years worth of PD materials. And I had lots of stuff. I had to dig through it and pull out stuff that I was like, no one is gonna use this anymore. <laughs> I had to pull out things like that and I had to separate out things by content. So I pulled out like reader's workshop resources, writer's workshop resources, word study, and then I labeled them on each shelf so that if people needed a recommendation, I could dig in and find it quickly. Or if they wanted, they could just go hunt it themselves. Um, I also stored my own PD in, in a slightly different place because I wanted that to be, you know, these were what stuff that you might need. This is stuff that I might need. And so it was a lot of shelves, but I found that it was, it was handy to have it organized and kept in one spot so that if teachers needed something, we could find it right away. The last space that I mentioned earlier is a conversation space. So if my workspace 
doubled as a conversation space. It was a guided reading table. We could sit around it and feel cozy. I have seen some recommendations that I really love if you have the space for it to have a circular table be your, your dialogue space with teachers because then nobody is the teacher, if that makes sense. If you're sitting behind a guided reading table or behind a desk and they're on the other side, you're creating a hierarchy there, right? You're setting up who's the authority and who's not. If you have a cute little circular table with some flowers in the middle and some chocolate, you're saying, let's sit down and talk. Nobody's the boss. And that can really help teachers feel comfortable to know that they can reach there and they can join you and have a calm dialogue. They can vent, they can ask for help, they can tell you their problems <laughs> and hopefully, you know, collaborate on some solutions. It's just a good way to, to build relationships and, and have an open door policy if you have a space that you plan to use to, to meet and dialogue with teachers. So I recommend adding that eight conversation space, um, making sure that you think about in, your, in the space that you have in your room, where are you going to communicate with teachers in a, um, in a way that kind of lowers their defensiveness? Because it can be hard to ask for help and it can be hard to say we're having trouble. And sometimes we have those conversations that are not fun conversations. But if we can do it in a place that shows that we are trying to work for teachers and with teachers and be collaborators, then at least our intention is there. So that, those are the eight spaces that I recommend that you have in your room somewhere. Now remember, they can look different and you may not need all of them because you might not have certain responsibilities. For example, in my workspace, that's also where I would work with groups of students. I provided intervention to kids, so I had my workspace double as my intervention space as well. But you may not need to do that. So think about your responsibilities, make your list, and then make your map in a way that reflects all of those responsibilities that you are going to have as a coach. I'm going to run through these eight spaces one more time to make sure that you know uh, which spaces you're going to want to have in your office or at least which spaces you're going to want to consider. Space number one, your own workspace. Space number two, planning tools for grade levels or teams of teachers. Space number three, teacher workspace. Space number four, teaching resources. Space number five, a direct instruction, instruction space or a PD space or a training space. Space number six is your wall space. Think about how you want to use that purposefully. Space number seven is professional development resources. And space number eight is your conversation or dialogue space for teachers. You can have a um, low stress conversation spot. And these are actually, aside from the conversation space, you can get all of these in a checklist um, in my resource called the Instructional Coaches Book of Plans and Lists. That is a document that includes, it's like a little book and it includes checklists and graphic organizers and, you know, lists, uh, list building tools for, I think around 40 different forms. Um, because sometimes just keeping track of your stuff is, is a, a whole lot. So if you are wanting to get a document that will help you do that, one of the forms in the coaches book of plans and lists is the classroom planning room, the coaching classroom planning planning list. And that will give you those eight different spaces that you need. Actually seven, the conversation space isn't on there, but it's a really good place to start. And it also includes a ton of other lists that will really help you save your time and stay organized. So next week, I'm excited to share. I, I think I say the word excited too much. Maybe you should email me some different suggestions of words I could say. I'm just generally an excited person. It's just <laughs> the truth of the matter. Next week is episode 68. And I'm going to talk about a really important topic. This is 
going to be all about different levels of support that you can provide to teachers and how you use those levels of support and the different services you can offer to build a coaching menu that will have something for everyone on it. Because that's a huge issue that we have. People look at a coaching at your coaching services and they're like, nothing, none of that is for me or all of it's too stressful and scary. But if we can have some different services at different levels, then teachers can approach coaching at a lower level of support. Doesn't mean it's bad support, it's just in a different way. And that can be a way to get a small win and get that door to open a little wider. So you can then go in and provide more, um, more focused and deliberate coaching support over time. So definitely listen to this one because if you have felt like it's hard for you to get people to accept your coaching support, you don't know how to initiate it, you don't know how to build your menu, you don't know even what's gonna go on that menu and how you can differentiate support for different teachers, this is going to be the episode for you. That's going to be episode 68. So that's coming out next week. And until then, happy coaching. Thank you for listening to Buzzing with Miss B, the coaching podcast. Want more coaching ideas? Check me out at buzzingwithmissb.com and on Instagram at buzzingwithmissb. If you love the show, share it with a coach who would love it too, or leave me a review on iTunes. It's free and it helps others find this show. Happy coaching.